Welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the NBA, what's happening with the conference finals. We'll be discussing the NFL, what's going on in the offseason. We will be talking about the WNBA, what's happening inside of their league. And we'll have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for the Just In Time Sports social media on all your favorite social medias. Now, if you're new here, you know what I'm about to say, but if you're returning, you know what I'm about to say. Sit back and get ready to learn something. to have you guys in here we're actually recording one day later than normal obviously usually record wednesday nights post on thursday morning this week due to a little scheduling conflict uh we had to go thursday night go friday morning which is cool though because they got an opportunity to basically get the opening game for both conference finals in the nba um in the in the pod i guess i didn't even welcome you guys in welcome into the justin time sports podcast um it's your host justin jackson uh season for episode 13 uh, welcome into the show i guess i didn't do that originally um so again it allowed us to get the opening games in of both conference finals matchups recording this right before uh lakers denver game two um but so we're gonna start in the east and then we'll bleed right into the game that's happening now um but actually we're gonna start off on a more serious note um we're back at it again with the John Morant stuff, and I, and I kind of wanted to do a special episode about it when it first happened, uh, but I waited. I wanted to wait because I wanted to see if it would happen the same when the first incident happened with the gun on Instagram Live, where yeah, it happened. I was able to hear some more opinions. It didn't necessarily change my opinion, but it softened my stance. Um, and I usually don't like to listen to podcasts. I, I do listen to several podcasts. I listen to Skip Bayless show. I listen to Draymond Green show. I'll pop in on Kyle Hurd. I'll listen to What's Right. Um, if I can get it, I'll get the Undisputed podcast, where just the show itself, no commercial. That's that's the first take on occasion, etc. I like to listen to different voices of opinions. What's the, what's the national media talking about? Because I'm sure if the national media is discussing it, um, I probably have an interest in it myself, but that also reflects to make sure you guys have an interest in it as well. What are the national media talking about? And my, I still made my overall general point about the last incident with Ja, although Nick Wright, admittedly, I'll admit it, softened my stance a little. He gave me another perspective. I still gave my most my, my point, but I added it was more of a humanitarian word about him. I perp- I, did, I listened to people's opinion on it this time. Stephen Jackson was a loud voice about it. J.J. Reddick, S- Stephen A., Skip, Shannon, Nick Wright, the usual crew of national media, um, about it, about the second incident, which, if you don't know, um, John Moran was riding in a car with, I think his name is DeMonte Pack, um, and one of John Moran's friends. Looks to me like his closest friend, maybe potentially his enforcer of the crew. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, riding in the car with Pack. Pack is on Instagram Live, flexing with. He's in the car with John Morant, you know. <clears throat> um, excuse me. And he's on Instagram Live, and the follower count slowly ticking up. I do mean slowly. When the incident happens, about 115 live starts off, scores zero, and it ticks up to about 115. I guess once more people realize John Morant's on the live, um, it ticks up, and they're listening to an NBA YoungBoy song. Um, and they're, you know, bopping to it and having a good time, like 23, 24, 25-year-old men do. I'm not sure how old Mr. Pack is, but John Moran is 23. Um, and so they're bopping to it, they're going to it. And then out of nowhere, literally, I think Jaws driving. Um, yeah, because Pack has the live. So Jaws driving, and while driving, he pulls out a pistol. 
from the side of the seat and starts flashing it, I guess to reiterate the fact that he was listening to a rap song, to, to DeMonte Pack's credit, he quickly drops the phone. Um, and you can almost hear him. I think if you listen closely, you hear him say something like, yo, what are you doing? Or what do you do that for? Some, it was kind of like a quick reprimand of like, why would he do that? The gun might have been in the camera for a second. Maybe a second and a half. But anytime there's something happening, lives are recorded usually. You can go back and watch them later. Somebody took a screenshot of Ja with the gun. Again, on Instagram Live, and it made the rounds. Again. Um, of course, the first time Ja did it to himself, he was in the strip club. At, um, oh, they, they've called the strip club's name a thousand times. Um, Shotgun Willie's in Denver. He flashed, he put the drinking, obviously pulled the gun out of Instagram live, flashing it in the club. That could have got him in a major situation with the NBA, because if you remember the Gilbert Arena situation, the NBA banned firearms and stuff on in NBA facilities. That's team playing, that is practice facility, arena, the NBA facility, or NBA situation, the NBA banned firearms. Um, that's what got Gilbert Arena's in trouble. He got 50 games for having the firearm in the facility. John Moran was investigated. They could not prove he had the gun on the plane, on the team plane. Therefore, he only got the eight-game suspension at the time. But this one was met with a lot more um, hammer from the NBA. The first time, John Moran went to Adam Silver. It was made in private. Adam Silver never spoke about it. Um, he released a prep statement. Never spoke about it, whatever. This time, he was at the draft lottery. Um, and he was asked flat out about it. And he's... Basically, he went in on John Moran without as a commissioner, um, basically he was he was treating it like the worst thing possible. Um, this reprimanding job to a full blown investigation, and they're gonna assume the worst. And it's just like, and I struggle to attack this a certain way because my brain, when I got to that point, went two different directions. I'll admit that. Part of my brain was to attack the people. Part of my brain was to attack John Moran. So I'm gonna start with the people. And by the people, I mean the people defending him. National media, social media, local media, doesn't matter. Loudest voices being is Yes Men on Twitter, Steven Jackson, JJ Reddy being the loudest national media that I've heard. Now, Steven Jackson's coming from a perspective of he's done everything, so he knows what forgiveness and what a path back and stuff did for him. So he's offering that to John Morant. No issue. None. None an issue at all. I have no problem with that. Defending the action. He doesn't defend the action. He usually defends the right to have a second chance at stuff. Okay, I don't got no issue with that. J.J. Reddick, however, highly hinted on the fact of a 23-year-old male while dropping a hammer on him. I don't like the age defense. I'm 26. Not that much older than John Moran. I know that's dumb. As a 23 year old, I knew that was dumb. There's certain stuff I would have never posed on social media. That's dumb. Um, at 17, you commit a certain crime. Hell, 16, in certain places, you commit a certain crime, you try it as an adult. You can enter the military and buy cigarettes at 18. You can buy alcohol at 21. By 23 years old, you're a full-grown adult. Especially someone in his position where he's supporting not only himself, he's supporting a friend group, and he's supporting his family. He's a full-grown adult. If you're adult enough to put your name to $300 million worth of contracts, if you're adult enough to work hard and get in the NBA, if you're adult enough to manage your business, to hire people, to go to the strip club, to buy alcohol, whatever, you're old enough to know that's dumb. Right? So that's on the people. Stop defending it. You're, just, you're, you're, out, you're creating a space of allowance and tolerance that shouldn't exist. Stupid. It's a stupid decision. And then you got those same similar people that are going, oh, what laws did he break? Second Amendment rights. He has a right to have a gun. I agree with you. He's in an open carry state. I agree with you. I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing that. But I am arguing the fact of if you are, and then oh, the other thing that came out was that, oh man, if he was a white guy with a hunting rifle, he wouldn't have been in any trouble. 
You're right. Not because he was white. Because of a hunting rifle. Hear me out. The hunting rifle, you got guys like Carson Wentz flexing their guns. Chris Kamen on Instagram with his hunting rifles and stuff. That is a photo. And a hunting rifle in the woods. It's not literally he has a gun. It's how he has a gun. What he's doing with that gun. When he has that gun. And the image of just having a gun incident. That we can prove. He's already been rumored to be in a scuffle with a 17 year old. Or reported to be in a scuffle with a 17 year old. And flashing a gun as the kid left. He's already alleged to tell a security guard. Outside of a mall. Outside of a finish line. I'm wait till he gets off. He's already rumored. He's already alleged to have busting a volleyball game. And his sister was playing in. Break a kid's phone. And threaten the kid. We have this on record. Record matters. Draymond Green got a game suspension for step for stomping on Demontis Sabonis' chest, and Joe Dumars, remember the bad boy Pistons, mind you, stated that part of the reason why Draymond got suspended was because of his history. John Morant has a history with this stuff. Literally, a few weeks ago, he had a gun incident on Instagram Live. Rinse, repeat. You know how you know something wrong? Because a guy and his crew that many consider the enforcer, Demonte Pack, Demonte, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Demonte Pack. Put the phone down. If it was so cool, if it was so, yeah, this is what it is, and we good, and ain't worried about none of that, and Second Amendment this, and whatever, he would have kept the phone up. If the guy rolling in the crew with nothing to lose but your paycheck, put the phone down. Obviously, there's something wrong with what you just did. Clearly. So those people that are talking about the Second Amendment, it's not the Second Amendment. First of all, the NBA is a private practice, a private business. They can put in rules that, for lack of a better term, trump the second, the Constitution. It's just, they're a private business. If you sign a contract with them that states these things you cannot do, and you do them, you jeopardize that money. You jeopardize power you jeopardize Nike. He was the first solo face of Power Wave from like a decade. Nike had the John 1 rolling out in the stores. But by the way, they've pulled off the app and out of stores. They pulled the Josh shoe. He's not making any more money off shoes. They pulled off the app and the stores. Power Wade, I'm sure, is going to release a statement either releasing Josh or spending his, his commercial. And, I, and I'm pretty sure these commercial contracts have like how many times it gets played as part of the financial payout. He's already lost $39 million because pretty much by getting suspended, the voters, it turned the voters off and he didn't make all NBA. Really, he should have. He didn't make all NBA team. Lost Supermax kickers. That's $39 million. Let's say he gets half a season. That's another 26-ish, probably 23-ish. Two Instagram live videos, probably about a minute of his life. It's going to cost him in the neighborhood of $65 million. Let's say the NBA goes full season. It's possible. I would go full season. I sit him down for a year. That's 46 plus 39. I'm not great at math. It's at $75 million that he would have lost for about a minute of his life with a gun. And it's not the fact that he has the gun. It's the fact that he's breaking morality and image clauses in his contract signed with the NBA. That's the issue. I hope he learns. He's a hell of a talent. I hope he learns. And this is what people was upset about with the Grizzlies. When he tried to pin so much stuff on Dylan Brooks. Because it's kind of like if Ja doesn't do the gun incident and disrupt the flow of the team. You don't have the issues you have with Dylan Brooks. Maybe, maybe not. Or if you have the issue with Dylan Brooks, you kind of ignore them. But because you, you you put a whole lot on Dylan Brooks and scapegoated him. For stuff that Ja Moran didn't cause. The Grizzlies have a tough decision to make regarding Ja. I don't know what they're going to do. If I'm them, honestly, I personally, if I'm the Grizzlies, I suspend Ja for a year without pay for violation of um, the morality and image clauses in his contract. Suspend him with a year without pay. Would it stand up with the NBPA? I don't know. But I would suspend him a year without pay and then go from there. That would cost him $75 million including not getting a supermax kicker plus not getting uh, that year of pay. And then we'll see how he feels in a year. You know? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He's perpetrating something that he's not from. He's going about stuff dumbly. 
He's trying to prove an image, trying to prove a group. Dude, you have people. If you're going to roll up nine deep to a finish line, you're going to roll up deep to a volleyball game, you're going to pull up on a security guard, you have people clearly for this. Let them do that. It's like he doesn't want $300 million. I'm pretty sure between his contract and his power rate, his Nike deal, he's probably got about $250 to $300 million on the line here. And guaranteed contracts from signing his name on stuff. And all he has to do is not what he's doing. He's going to get $300 million. By the time he's 28, he'll have $300 million. Cut it in half for taxes. $180 million in a bank account. All he has to do is not do what he's doing. Um, He's risking generational wealth here. Um, And so I hope he get his life together. I'm sure we'll get more updates the further we go along. Um... But it's it's ridiculous what John Moran is doing right now. I mean, people defending him are insane. But let's jump to a lighter note of the conference finals. So obviously, like I said, we're right before uh, Denver Lakers game two. Um, we're going to talk about what happened in the game last night. Uh, Boston and Miami. Playoff Jimmy. I mean, he did it again. Um, couple takeaways from that game. Jimmy Butler is legit. Um, I struggle with calling him a superstar. Playoff Jimmy? Playoff Jimmy. Unquestioned superstar. Jimmy Butler as a totality? I struggle with it. Now, he routinely is an all-NBA player, which means he's universally a top 15 player. Um, and he's like that at all times. Because, he, you know, he, he's making the all-NBA team. So, routinely, um... He is a considered a top 15 player. He's legit in the playoffs. I struggle with calling him a superstar. Maybe if I sit down and do a list, I'll get to 9 or 10 and go, well, who's really better than Jimmy? Maybe he is a superstar. I don't know. But I struggle with it. My superstar list is not 9 or 10, 12 deep. My superstar list is like 7. And the only person in my list, two people in my list with superstars that don't have rings is Embiid and Luka. Because they're great nine months out of a year, not one and a half. I can see Jimmy Butler was doing this and winning championships, three, four championships, and, you know, he's just unquestioned. He's just killing everybody in the playoffs. He's not doing that. He kills everybody in the playoffs, but he's been in the Eastern Conference Finals, what, three out of four years? Lost in, lost in two finals, beat the Conference Finals, made it to one NBA Finals, lost in that one. Um, and so it's not netting the ultimate prize. But he came to play last night. Jason Tatum shrank. Um, in the fourth quarter, again, again, no shot attempts. This is like the fifth or sixth time in a playoff game. He's gone a fourth quarter with no shot attempts. Now, he did go to the goal a couple times, get fouled, but that was more in tie-up situations, but he nailed the free throws. Um, Joe Mazzula is, I won't, yeah, I won't say he's the worst coach in the NBA, worst head coach in the NBA, I won't say that. He's bottom third. Yeah, he's bottom five, in my opinion. Um, just as far as X's and O's, he's strategy and adjustments, he's probably bottom five. Um, Eric is probably top two, and he's probably not two. So, the, this is a massive coaching mismatch. Now, before the series, I'm going to stick with it. Actually, I had Boston five, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit to Boston at six. Um, because I didn't think Spolstra would be so much better than Missoula, he'd make up the talent gap. But if Tatum's not going to be to his best of his ability, and you have that big um, coaching advantage, that he might win this thing. But I'm going to stick with Boston in six. I just think there's too much talent over there on the Boston side. Now, they got some they got some guys over there in Miami. Max Struess, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry had a good quarter. Um... You know, they got some guys over there, but you just look at Boston, man. Tatum, Brown. And we're going to discuss Boston a little bit later, but offseason-wise, you got Tatum, Brown, Williams, Williams, uh, Brogdon, Smart, who had 10 assists basically in the first half. Um, you know, Blake Griffin just sitting on the bench collecting dust. You've got so much talent over there um, that it could be a very interesting situation if you really pay attention to Boston and how deep they can go, how many players they can play. So I just, I just think Boston has too much talent for them, and they're going to win in six games. Uh, playoff Jimmy will get another one, um, but I just don't think he'll be able to overcome that Boston talent over and over and over again. Four times in two weeks, 
It's a lot to overcome um, if you are playoff Jimmy. And then shifting to the game that's happening tonight, uh, Denver Lakers game two. Um, very interesting first game. It's one of those games, and Michael Malone has to answer questions about it pretty much the past couple days. One of those games where if you're Denver, are you nervous? Because Nikola Jokic went Wilt Chamberlain with a three ball. Like 31, 24, and 12 or something like that, or 14 assists. Um, Jamal Murray had a great shooting night. Michael Porter had a great shooting night. Kentavious Caldwell Pope felt like he was shooting from the parking lot making shots. The bench, Bruce Brown came in and gave you production. And, you know, these guys just making shots, and you won by six at home. Mainly off the strength of a miracle three from Jokic, a miracle step back from Jamal Murray. That's five of your points out of the six-point lead. I... <laughs> And, you know, he was asking if, you know, even Michael Malone's been asked about more victories for the Lakers. Like, yeah, they lost the game, but they made a Rui Hachimura switch and really affected Joker. And well, how do they feel? And, you know, Michael Malone was smart. He said he bet every red cent he has that Darvin Ham would rather be up 1-0 than down 0-1, uh, which is true. But if you're the Lakers, your goal's still in front of you. That's the split in Denver. Um... It would have been nice if you're the Lakers to overcome that 21-point deficit to win the game. That's not only a literal win, that's a psychological win. Um, because you, right now, the Nuggets only see the Lakers as a threat um, to come back on them. You win that game, you put it psychologically, we will come back on you. Um, and so that is something that they're going to have to pay attention to there. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, man, they have a lot of offense. Man, I was watching that first game going, man, they got shooters everywhere. Jokic, Murphy, Corder, Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown. I'm like, they got guys shoot the ball from everywhere. Um, and if you're the Lakers, you got to find a way to defend. Um, it's going to be hard to defend Jokic. And David spoke up, so he's got to be the captain of the defense, whether that's adjusting everybody properly or taking the one-on-one assignment with Jokic. Um Yogi is too, too big for him, in my opinion. He's too big and too skilled. I mean, that was one play he caught into a quick little post move and dunked it. And it's like, yeah, that's um, that's pretty real there. Um, made shots, it's great passes, and it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty lit. Um, it's pretty legit how how well Jokic plays with the basketball. And Jamal Murray and the dribble handoff was elite. Michael Porter Jr. was shooting over Austin Reeves like he was a chair. It just, it was rough. If you're um, if you're a Lakers player of their defense, but then like I said, Darvin Ham in that second half went back to what I consider this year's version of Laker basketball, and that is Jerry Vanderbilt playing defense. That's Rui Hachimura playing defense. Austin Reeves, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James with the lineup, and they stormed back um, behind that strength of that five. A couple ancillary pieces too, like um, Lonnie Walker hit a shot, but that was pretty much the five that ran the fourth quarter, and they affected Nikola Jokic a lot. Um, in that fourth quarter. So maybe Darvin Ham stumbled on something. It's very similar, in my opinion, to think about the 2015 um, finals, maybe. Uh, LeBron, when Kyrie cracked the kneecap and Kevin Love showed a guy who got to play by Kelly Olenek. At the end of game three, the Cavs were going up two to one. Steve Kerr subs in Iguodala. And it affects LeBron. He stumbles upon Iguodala because at that point, LeBron was. Literally unguardable. Iggy slows him down the rest of the series, makes him inefficient, but at that point, LeBron was literally unguardable. Steph was having a slow series. He was one-manning them to a two-man, to a two-one victory. Steve Kerr stumbles upon Andre Iguodala, starts him games four, five, and six. The Warriors win four, five, and six, and win the title. Um, and I kind of feel like Darvin Ham, by putting Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic, may have just stumbled upon something that could affect Jokic. Um... And you probably try it this game. If I'm, if I'm Darvin Ham, I don't start Rui, though. I uh, I go D'Angelo Russell, Jerry Vanderbilt, LeBron, Reeves, and Davis. And they bring Rui in as that first guy off the bench five minutes to the game. Or four minutes to the game. You know, like, he doesn't start, but he'll get very early and often run. Because if he truly does affect Nikola Jokic the way he did at the end of game one, that could be a game changer for the Lakers. Uh, actually... The Lakers just announced their starting lineups. 
Uh, one second, see if I can pull this up for you guys really quickly. Uh, David Miniman of ESPN just tweeted it. They are going uh, Jerry Vanderbilt, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austria, DeAndre Russell. So the lineup I said, um, because that is literally like the best lineup for them. Because now Vanderbilt can go to um, Murray. I assume Davis goes to Jokic. Oh, LeBron goes to Jokic. You could switch that one pick and one one five pick and roll. Davis hangs by Gordon, Gordon by the rim, and you uh, play ball from there. Now, in order for this to work, in order for this to work, they are going to, um, in order for this to work, they are going to need Vanderbilt to make shots. Because uh, Vanderbilt does not make shots. He's not going to play long. Probably Rui comes in and kind of throws off the defensive strategy. He's got to make open corner threes because the Nuggets are going to give it to him. Um, so we're definitely going to be keeping our eye on that uh, tonight. Like I said, this is probably about a half hour or so. Um, transaction report. The uh, Phoenix Suns fired Monty Williams uh, following their second round exit to the Denver Nuggets, ironically. Mike Budenholzer was fired for the Milwaukee Bucks following their first round exit to the Miami Heat. And Doc Rivers was fired from the Philadelphia 76ers following their second round exit to the Boston Celtics. Um, out of the firings, I think... Monty Williams and Mike Budenholzer ranked tied for first. Like, yeah, okay, not I guess Doc was the only firing that wasn't shocking. Uh, Bud and Monty Williams had two great teams. Uh, Monty Williams, probably, Bud's probably the most shocking because they had the number one team in the East. Literally, Giannis gets hurt and they lose. Um, and one of the situations was like, you fire him for that? And then Monty Williams, he wasn't Matt Ishbia's hire. Um, so any sign of kink in the armor, he was probably gone. They lost early. Than expected, so he was fired. And then Doc Rivers apparently was helped ousted by James Harden. Um, he was uh, reportedly helped. He was reportedly ushered out by James Harden um, as well. Didn't didn't stick up for him. Uh, he blew another lead. He lost his tenth game seven. He lost I think his sixth three two lead. Um, and it might just be time for Doc Rivers to hang it up and move on with his career. Although, if you're a Quinn Snyder or Ime Adoka, you're upset this morning. You have to be. Quinn Snyder jumped on the Hawks' job midseason, and Ime Adoka jumped on the Rockets' job. And since that point, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and Philadelphia have opened up with Embiid, Giannis, and KD, and Devin Booker as your cornerstones. I'm sure those guys are not the happiest with their life decisions right now. Um, but that's just the way that the coaching carousel spins. Um, and also reportedly, James Harden is going to opt out of his player option and test free agency. Of course, he's been long linked to the Houston Rockets as a return, but we will definitely see. Now, up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump into the NFL and talk about a couple of news points, really. Um, it was NFL schedule release week over the past week or so. Of course, you guys know I will do the 256-game schedule pick. I will pick every single game um, without any prejudice at all. So, like, if I'm not one of those people that, like, oh, I'm going to say this going to be 13-3 and three, and then not have corresponding games, like... I start at the top, and I work my way down. So I just go, shoot. So if I give Arizona a win here, I go down, and I give that same team a loss, and so on and so forth. And usually by, like, 13 or 14, it's pretty much like I'm picking the game so fast. Um, this and the third. Like, last year, I had San Fran winning, like, 14 games. Um, they got close. Like, you know, it's never too far off. Of course, I never have any 2-14 and 14 teams because I give everybody three wins, home wins in their division. Um, that usually balances me out. Uh, and then, of course, I have no, like, 15-2 and two teams because I hear three losses in your division, that sort of thing. Um, but, we're, of course, I'm going to do that. Uh, pencil that in for next week sometime um, of me doing a 256-game pick. Um, and so, pencil that in for next week sometime. 
where I, that would probably be the best for last. Where I literally pick every single game, and I go from there, and I tell you, okay, this team's going to win this game, et cetera, so on and so forth. Three of the 250 games. Um, one of my favorite things to do, actually, I enjoyed doing it last year. It was pretty dope to see how the records came out, who made the playoffs, why they got the tiebreakers. Um, it was pretty cool to see that, so I definitely will be doing that again this year. You can guys can look for that probably next week. But, of course, when the NFL schedule release comes out, people look at strength of schedule. People look at travel, like uh, Seattle's traveled the most miles. Obviously. No one's in their area anyway. Their division's in L.A., Arizona, and um, Vegas. No. No, no, no. Um, their division is they're the NFC West. So, uh, Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, and the San Francisco 49ers is their division. So, two Californians and Arizona. So, even do a division game, they have to come way down. They've got a London game. They've got a New York game. Um, Seattle has to travel. That's just part of being the Seattle Seahawks. They have big travel schedules. Jacksonville has big travel schedules as well because they got two London games. Um, so, they have big travels as well. Um... And now there's a rumor that Jacksonville may end up doing like half their schedule in London. So do four games in Jacksonville, four games in London. Because London supports them so well. That's London's team. I spoke about this last week. Like that's London's team. Um, they started off with the more popular jersey in the crowd being the kicker. And then it moved from the kicker to like the quarterback. Now it's, and then it became like a melting pot of, um, then it became a melting pot of jerseys because different teams in England got used to that foot to our football they started supporting and so on and so forth but now there's rumors swirling that especially like next year where Jacksonville may be out of their stadium for a year play four games in London play four games maybe like a University of South Florida or something um or whatever's the closest major college stadium to Jacksonville um which I think and then where they play the backyard of uh, the backyard barbecue whatever whatever it's called. Um, they, may, they may play in Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. Never mind. But, you know, whatever's the closest big stadium to Jacksonville Jaguars facilities, they would just play there. And like I said, of course, um, they might end up playing four games in London to kind of take the pressure off having a child. They just play in London. Back-to-back weeks in London, couple road games in America, home game, regular home game, then another week in London. Trying to get those London games in and really build that fan base. Um, so they've got a big travel schedule, of course. Uh, but I want to look at a few teams' schedule in particular. So I'm going to go just talk about the Jets' schedule, the Pat, the Patriots' schedule. Never mind, team. I'm going to talk about the Patriots' schedule. Um, and then we'll also discuss the Eagles' schedule because their schedule, before the travel thing came out, was deemed as the hardest schedule. So we're going to start off with the Jets. Of course, they have Aaron Rodgers. People get excited about that and quarterbacks. Um... People get excited about, oh, there's uh, there's a new quarterback in town. I remember, you know, ever since Brady did it, people think they can do it now. People think they can just show up on a new team, um, take their pieces, quarterback shows up, Super Bowl. Brady did it. Extenuating circumstances. That was the COVID year, so nobody could practice. And I remember Brady actually being helicopter footage at a high school with Mike Evans and Gronk and the rest of the crew. Um, at a high school, I think it was Highland Park High School, or um, getting an extra practice reps. Nobody could practice. So in the one year where having little to no rapport with your receivers wouldn't have mattered, Brady showed up because no one could practice for months. Um, and so he gets an opportunity there. Um, he got an opportunity there to make a huge splash uh, year one because there was no one, you know, there was no practice time for anybody okay then it fails a couple times it fails for Carson Wentz it fails for Matt Ryan it hits again with Matt Stafford why the Rams were already made a Super Bowl team they needed somebody to make a couple big throws golf couldn't make Matt Stafford made them um and actually Stafford almost lost them out some seeding them throwing pick sixes so Stafford nearly blew it um they just needed somebody to make a couple of big throws golf's arm can't do bam you get a situation where um it hits for Matt Stafford. Um, so big thing there for him. Is it going to work for Aaron Rodgers? My answer is no. Why do you say that? There's a few things working against Aaron Rodgers. Number one, Aaron Rodgers' play has been declining. 
He was declining without Nathaniel Hackett, even though he had Matt LaFleur. It's been declining. Um, and I think he's going to continue to slowly decline. Now, is he better than Zach Wilson? Obviously. Is he better than Mike White? Obviously. But I think his play is going to slowly decline where the not having the rapport with the receivers, even though he, even though he has Adam Lozada and Randall Cobb, you know, there was a poorly no wish list. Having a rapport, having a rapport with the receivers, um, having a little rapport. I mean, Daniel Hackett was in Denver for a year. Who knows how his playbook has changed. I'm sure he's going to go back to as much as Aaron Rodgers stuff as he can now that he got Aaron Rodgers back. Especially because, reportedly, that was the reason why he got the Broncos job. was a recruiting pitch for Aaron Rodgers. Um, and ultimately, did not work. And look, Russell Wilson, we know how that went. Um, but now he's back with Nathaniel Hackett. So his play may come back up. Um, but the AFC East is harder than the NFC North. I mean, the NFC North is the Vikings with, ch- with choking Kirk Cousins. The Detroit Lions, enough said. And the Chicago Bears... The, the 33rd, I mean, the 15th SEC school at this point. Um, as far as their talent level. So, this is, you didn't win the division last year. Detroit basically eliminated you from the playoffs by beating you in week 18 in the game you had to win. Like, I just don't think it's going to be that great. Um, and then you look at their schedule. I look at their schedule, I'm going to rattle off the games. Um, home Buffalo at Cowboys, home New England, home Kansas City, at Denver, home Philly, bye week, at Giants, which doesn't matter, Giants, Jets, it doesn't matter. Now, season ticket holders will get it for Giants, but when the general populace tickets go up, both people should feel the same, it should feel like a college bowl game. Half blue, half green, probably, would be the same, or maybe 60-40. Um, home Chargers, at Raiders, at Bills, home Dolphins, home Falcons, home Texans, at Dolphins, home uh, Commanders at Browns at Patriots. Um, and of course the Week 18 game is TBD because depending on what's important, remember Week 18 is the shuffleable week where you can just, you know, a game can end up on Sunday night Monday night, like depending on how the weeks how the weeks are breaking down the standings are breaking down. I'm looking at the Jets schedule because I haven't done the pencil in the games. I see seven wins. Honestly. I see Falcons. This quickly, I see Falcons. I, I give you the three division wins for home. I give you those. I see Denver, maybe. I see Falcons, Texans, Giants, Raiders. I give you Raiders. I see eight wins on this schedule. Why trade for Aaron Rodgers for eight wins? Going into the bye week, they may have one win, and that's at Denver. Oh, right, I give them the home win versus New England. So, Either New England or Denver, they're going to win. I don't see them beating the Bills at home. I don't. I mean, I, I give them the win in the, in the, in the books, but in, in, in now I'm doing it my way, I don't see them beating the Bills at home. I don't see them going on the road and beating the Cowboys. I don't see them uh, taking out the Patriots. Maybe they beat the Patriots. They don't beat the Chiefs. Maybe they beat the Broncos. There's a legitimate chance they go into the bye week one and five and the season's over. And you would have traded Aaron Rodgers to go 1-5 and the season's over. I, they have a chance to have an abject disaster of a season. Um, and I hope it doesn't happen. I really do. I hope it doesn't happen. But they have a very high chance of having a disaster of a season. Um, if they do not come out the gates hot. Like I said, they can very legitimately go 1-5. and five. And having a new quarterback in an in old system with new receivers... Um, having old, uh, having old quarterback with new, you know, old system, new receivers. Like the report may not be there. If they start off one and five, the season's over. And the New York media is absolutely crushing Aaron Rodgers. Um, and if that's the case, how will he handle it? He's been in Green Bay his whole career, where he basically controlled the media. This will be the first time he didn't control a, a darn thing. Uh, with the media, because they control what happens in New York, man. It's just the way of life there. Um, and so definitely going to be interested in watching the Jets this season. Uh, moving on to my Patriots. Because, um, again, going to rattle off their schedule as well. Uh, home Eagles, home Dolphins, at the Jets, at the Cowboys, home New Orleans, at Vegas, home Buffalo, at Miami, home Washington, home 
uh, Indy, although that's going to be the game in Germany. Bye week at the Giants, home Chargers at Pittsburgh, home Kansas City at Denver, at Buffalo, home Jets, of course, with the final game being TBD when it happens, because again, that is the shuffleable week. Um, on that schedule, legitimately, I can see 10 wins. Um, and it may be a little bit more by the time I, you know, dive into it a little bit deeper and you know, do the games and this team coming off a break, this team coming off by, that team, you know, whatever. Um, I can see 10, 11 wins on the Patriots schedule. Will that win the division? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what Buffalo's schedule off the top of my head looks like. Um, but it, it'll definitely be a playoff team. And I think that Bill O'Brien's going to make a huge difference with Mac Jones. Um, having a legitimate offensive coordinator instead of Matt Patricia has to help. Um, so that is what the goal is there in New England. So that is what I'm seeing there. And of course, the Eagles reportedly have the hardest schedule. The, um, they have at Patriots, home Vikings, at Bucks, home Commanders, at Rams, at Jets, home Dolphins, at Commanders, home Cowboys, bye week at Chiefs, that's a break. Home Bills, that's not a break. Home 49ers, that's not a break either. At the Cowboys, that's definitely not a break. Cross-country travel at Seahawks, home Giants, home Cardinals. And then at Giants, again, TBD, depending on when the games fall. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see why they have the hardest schedule. They get into a stretch where they got a break. Uh, it's the bye week before the Kansas City game. After that, there's no break in that schedule. It's they have bad travel breaks. They have good teams. It gets really strong for the Eagles at the end of that schedule. I mean, the, the beginning is not easy, but that back half, especially after that bye week, gets really strong um, for the Eagles. So they're definitely gonna have to navigate that schedule. Um, just a couple of quick hits. Uh, Joe Burrow is working on his contract extension, but he's he openly said he's keeping his teammates in mind um, in regards to that extension. Because Jamar Chase and T. Higgins both are going to want big deals soon. So he said he's going to work with the team to try and make it as palatable as possible um, to the team in order to um, keep his talent around him because he knows for sure um, he knows for sure that he wants to keep those guys around him and that you can't win without talent around you. Um and Josh, um, oh man, I wrote the name down. I forgot already. Josh Harris, sorry. The new owner of the Commanders, or the prospective new owner of the Commanders, signing the deal could net him a stadium deal of $1.5 billion in Virginia. And of course, DC will want to get into that. And obviously, um, obviously, Maryland is going to want in as well. Uh, to try and get the Commander Stadium in their area. Of course, that's tax revenue, that's fan revenue, that's all kind of stuff for the city and the state. Um, so they're going to want to get in on that. But just Daniel Snyder selling to Josh Harris couldn't let the Commander to do that. Dan Snyder could not pull off for the life of him. Uh, but that is all we have for the NBA, NFL. Rather. Now we're going to jump quickly to the WNBA and talk about some heartbreaking stuff going on in the WNBA. There's a special running, actually, I think after the uh, WNBA bubble, um, about called like the 144 or something like that. It's talking about like the 144 women that make up the WNBA. It's the most competitive roster in professional sports. Spoke about this last week. 36 people every year get drafted into the WNBA. 
at least 36 minutes, but the camp invites, whatever. 36 people get drafted to the NBA. There's 144 total spots. And you might think in your head, well, the NBA gets, you know, 60 people drafted every year, but there's 450 spots. What about the what about the NFL? They pick 256 guys by a 53-man roster. There is six. There's 1,700 spots just on the main roster. If you add in the newfound practice squad, 65 times 32, there's 2,100 spots available for those 256. Plus, half the league in the NFL is undrafted. The WNBA has a problem, and the problem's growing. There's only one real solution. Many people on Twitter are finally paying attention. Most of these ladies that we love because of the attention of Andrew Reese and Caitlin Clark and the rest of those um, people brought attention to the college basketball, we were all ready to see Alexis Morris in the WNBA. We were ready to see Bria Bill from South Carolina in the WNBA. We were ready to see these stars that we loved in college transition to the WNBA and get ready to ball. And then they got waived in rookie minicamp. Bria Bill was a first-round pick. She got waived. The team just flat out released her. Charlie Collier was the number one pick in the WNBA draft in 2021. It is 2023. She got waived. And a lot of people on Twitter are saying, the people that you're trying to attract to the game of WNBA are saying, why even have the draft? You're going to waive the picks anyway. My thing is, why have 36 picks? Just do a first round draft. And then undrafted sign for everybody else. It doesn't matter. The money so... The money between a 36 pick and the undrafted free agent contract, especially when you get waived after a month, it doesn't matter. So why even just do a first round draft and then undrafted free agent sign everybody else? Because at this point, you're wasting, you're not growing your game. Because these stars who you fell in love with, Alexis Morris, Abria Bill, Charlie Collier, like these stars we're looking for to be the next generation WBA players have been released. So now what happens in three years when you, or two years, we've got that super class coming out. It's the Angelis, the Caitlin Clarks, the Haley Van List. You know, they're all going to be together. What's going to happen then? No wonder these ladies aren't rushing to get to the WNBA. Number one, their pay is going to drop. Uh, no one, their pay is going to drop. Their exposure is going to drop. And, and in two years, they could be out of the league. No matter how good they play. I thought Charlie Collier was playing pretty well. You know, and it's like, I hope the WNBA does what I call a pop expansion. There's apparently 10 cities the WNBA looks to expand to. I get an ownership group for every city, and I add them all at one time. 10 new teams. That's 120 more spots. You double the league size immediately. You go from 144 to 264. You have a 36-person draft. You may bring in Alexis Morris off the street. You may bring in LaDaisa Williams. The starting center for Iowa. She got waved by the Sparks. You got people, you, you got veterans saying it hurts them and makes them want to cry. You got Nick Agumake saying, you know, there's an entire WNBA league training at home, hoping to get a shot. So you even come to a, you know, training camp roster. And it's like, whatever the 10 cities are, I'm willing to take the gamble. It's the WNBA. We've had franchises fold before. The Detroit Shock folded. The Houston Comets no longer exist. By the way, put a team in Houston. Oh, the Houston, the Houston comments no longer exist. They would love to get their comments back. I've seen it before. I was in Houston uh, a couple months ago and seen a couple of banners and an ad about bringing the comments back. Like, they would love to bring the comments back. Um, Denver, I think, would support a team. I think Houston would support a team. I don't know about Detroit um, just because of – they don't really support the Pistons unless they're winning, so I wouldn't do Detroit. Baton Rouge could be an option because of the momentum you're getting from LSU. Um, I think you'd be played in the PMAC as well. Like I think I think that could be something that you could think about jumping on. Um, and I I didn't do the full list of the cities. Philadelphia, they love their basketball in Philly. Philadelphia, um, Miami's a hit or miss. It'd be great for living, but I don't know how great of a support system they'll get in Miami. Um, again, play in I think it's I don't know what the arena's called now, but play in the Miami Heat arena. Um. Mickey Harrison owns it, builds their own facility. Maybe it could work. New York has the liberty. I don't see another team going into New York. But, you know, you have these opportunities to go to these cities. Oh, Phoenix has the Mercury. Arizona would be a good spot, but Phoenix has the Mercury. Um, 
Seattle has the storm. I say, man, Seattle, but Seattle has the storm. Um, you know, so it's kind of like they have an opportunity. Whoever the 10 cities are, Toronto. Toronto showed out for that WNBA exhibition game. I'm willing to try it. Like, if the team folds, sucks. But I'm willing to try it. Um, because there's too much talent now coming up in the girl game, in the women's game, for you to, if you draft 36 rookies, eight make an open day roster, like, there's or 12 make an open day roster. Like, there's too much talent coming up for that to happen uh, every year because now there's no rush to get to the draft. Especially in IL, like, I'm already making, like, Andrew's making a million dollars a year. Flock Johnson making a million dollars a year. I'm already going to take a huge pay cut going to W, and I might get cut in a month. Why am I going? You know what I'm saying? So, if you're a Flaw J. Johnson, like, why would I not go on tour instead of playing on the W? I'm going to get cut in a month anyway. What's the point? And Alexis Morris made a comment on Twitter, like, it's time for the old, the, uh, the vets to hang up the nets and let the young people get a chance. And it's like, it's just true. You got veterans holding on to spots that really can't produce anymore, but they're holding on to a spot. Um, I mean, I'm saying it. Gumage. I think she'd be much better served on ESPN than WNBA court. That's the spot. That's that's the center of my spot. Um, there's gonna be some guards gonna see Indiana and go, how do they have a job? That's Alexis Morris' spot. So other thing. So that's another thing too. They have to be not so tied into veterans um, <clears throat> and give these young ladies a shot. But like I said, pop expansion. Ten teams at one time. Have Kathy Elgenberg, this how you pronounce her last name, line up the ten city with the ownership groups, introducing the. Miami, whatever is introducing the you can do Louisiana if you don't want to do Baton Rouge. Introducing the Louisiana, whatever. Introducing the re rebranding the Detroit shop with new logo, new colors. Introducing the reintroducing the Houston Comets, like and have this big introducing the Toronto, whatever. It's introducing this big pop expansion. Um, I think several owners are going to invest in the group. It will bring in new young ownership groups. It will bring in new exciting ownership groups. Raise the revenue for more local TV deals. More revenue for the league, salary goes up, more markets expanded to advertising-wise, so on and so forth. And you're looking at a great situation. Plus, with a pop expansion, the talent's going to move. Because if you put that many teams in at one time, the protection might be three people. You know, you only take three people. In the finish, in the, finish, in the um, expansion draft, in the expansion draft, you obviously, you draft um, five players or whatever in the expansion draft, and then you be given three everybody you'd be giving two picks in every round so you know and then it's just like you know it kind of just falls in you'd be treated like a lottery pick you're two picks treated like a lottery pick they'd go in twice um for the first round you kind of order out that way um it would be you know as, as a way to do it to really give these young ladies a chance because the, the system that's got now it's not working obviously um so that is something that the nba is definitely going to have WBA rather is definitely going to have to look for. But up next, we're going to discuss two teams that are in potential salary cap hell in the NBA in best flies, the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. Back into the show and welcome into Best for Last. Um, and we, of course, if you wasn't the last segment, you'll know we're talking about the uh, NBA two teams that could be a potential danger. The Warriors have been discussed a lot, of course, with the Boston Celtics. Now, the Warriors have been discussed a lot in the sense of Draymond Green and Klay Thompson are both looking for contracts. Both of them pretty much want their max from all reports, and you have no money to do it. Thanks to the new CBA. Even if you pay the outlandish bill, like their luxury tax bill, if they brought Thompson and Green back to their market contracts, even with a slight pay cut, their luxury tax bill could be more than some team's entire salary. Like $600 million a year, payroll kind of thing. Like that's ridiculous. Um, especially for a team that I don't think can win titles anymore, as presently constructed, that's a ridiculous pay scale. Looking at contract extensions, Jordan Poole's do $35 million a year. 
how are you going to sell Clay Thompson or Draymond Green and take a pay cut less than Jordan Poole? You can't. Because they look at you like we got four championships. What Jordan Poole got? One. We got four, you know, and Draymond Green's multiple defensive player of the year. Clay Thompson, eight, nine all time all star. Both of them are four time champions. Both of them are getting statues and their jerseys and statues outside, jerseys in the rafters. First ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famers. Um, and you're going to ask them to take less than Jordan Poole? It's not going to work. So now you have to trade Jordan Poole at his lowest point. Um, you have a, a locker room issue because Steve Kerr and Draymond Graham openly admitted like, yeah, had Draymond not knocked Jordan Poole out, they're probably still playing basketball right now. Um, and so that's a problem you got to solve in your locker room. Like I said, you can't expect Draymond or Klay Thompson to take less than Jordan Poole. If you pay them both, which you can, you have their bird rights. If you pay them both, you have, you're stuck in salary cap hell. You have to go dollar for dollar in any trade. You can't give second round picks on the trade. You can't give cash on the trade. Like you have all these trade restrictions and your team has no way of getting better besides development. And considering that Draymond and Clay are getting older, Jordan Poole would be a little more wild because he had maybe more emboldened, more money in his pocket. I don't see them as a championship team because you couldn't improve anywhere. Um, I don't see them as a championship contender and you'd pay $600 million for no reason. If you want to extend Clay and Draymond to the market value, even maybe a little less, you got to move Jordan Poole for basically pennies on a dollar because you have to shed contracts. Maybe you take one bad year back from somebody and buy it out. Um, you may end up having to attach a first-round pick to Jordan Poole to get him out. Like You're in a bad spot if you're going to stay. Also, your GM Bob Myers may walk away because him and the organization are having trouble locking in a contract. So Bob Myers may end up walking away from your team. Who helped who constructed the team and hired Steve Kerr? You may end up leaving. Um and then going to the Boston Celtics, they have about six hundred and thirteen million reasons why they have to think about this. Jalen Brown made all NBA. Doing that, he kicked in his supermax. His he kicked in his supermax kickers. That comes with a price tag of five years, $298 million. Jason Tatum, of course, he's All-NBA pretty much every year. He kicked the Jesus Max contract extension next year, last year, but it's not until next summer he can sign it. So not this upcoming summer, not this June, not this June, July, not this July 1, next July 1, July 1, 2024, he can sign his five-year $313 million Supermax. That means, or $315 million Supermax, that means you'll have... $613 million between two players. The Supermax is 25% of your salary cap. You'd have two of them. That means 50% of your cap is tied against two players. How do you build around that? Can you literally do it? Yes. But is Boston a championship team right now? Potentially. But are you going to commit $600 million to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? And basically say you have to carry us for four to five years because there's no way you can you can't build. You probably get have to sell Brogdon for pieces for pennies for quarters and hope it make a dollar. You have to sell probably Grant Williams for quarters and hope it makes a dollar. Like you're gonna have to sell these guys off in order to get cheaper rotational pieces because you're gonna commit six hundred and thirteen million dollars to two people. Um, and I think that is a decision that Brad Stevens and ownership is gonna have to make. Um, is it worth it? Or do you say, Jalen Brown, hey, buddy, um, we'll sign and trade you to Portland for the third overall pick. You want to go play with Dame? Like, you know, the situation, we might have to sign and trade him um, somewhere else. Maybe get in a three-team situation where Harden ends up in Houston, Brown ends up in Portland, and Miami helps facilitate it or someone helps facilitate it ends up with a couple first-round picks. Like, But I just don't see the Celtics ultimately – doing that and being successful because again with 600 million dollars 50 percent of your salary cap tied up with two players that neither one of them are top five players like i don't think Jalen Brown's a top 10 player i don't i really think, i don't healthy i don't think he's a top 15 player if everyone in the league is healthy i don't think Jalen brown's a top 15 player i don't think they hit him top five player you'd be committing 50 percent of your salary cap to two players and neither one of them are top five one of them's not even top 15 healthy um I don't think Boston can do it, although I think it's one of those situations where they may have to do it and they'll live to regret it. Um, you'll be hearing in two years, oh, they're trying to break them up. Who's going to take the max contract to Jalen Brown? Um, 
And so that's something to never keep our eye on there. We're definitely watching the situation, of course. Um, keep you guys updated, as always, on Justin Time Sports social media. But that is all we have for today. I'm actually finishing this right around tip-off of Lakers Nuggets. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the game. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. You'll hear this Friday morning. Um, so this is your host and owner, Justin Jackson, signing out. <laughs>